Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode two of the Non-Anxious Leader podcast, and today we're going to look at self-differentiation, and I want to go into it to try to unpack exactly what it is, and then just a little bit on why it matters as a leader. Self-differentiation started in family systems theory that was pioneered by Murray Bowen, uh, several decades ago, and it's it's a theory of the interdependence of relationships in any uh, relationship system. So whether that's our family of origin, which would be our nuclear family, our parents, our grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins, or a relationship system like a congregation or an organization. Bowen realized that we don't act independently of the system that we seek approval, that uh, what we say or do has an impact on others. And so when we look at behavior as an individual, then we are missing a big part of how we function. I first encountered family systems theory in seminary back in 1991 uh, when I was introduced to generation to generation family process in church and synagogue by Edwin Friedman. Friedman, who is now deceased, was a rabbi, but also a family therapist, and he took what Bowen had developed and applied it to congregational systems. What he did was he understood that it's important to understand how we function in our own family of origin, but also how we can function in congregational systems and how that matters. So it's there through Friedman that I learned the definition of self-differentiation, and he defines it as the ability to define one's own goals and values in the midst of surrounding togetherness pressure. And so there are three components that I want to go into today in terms of self-differentiation. The first of these is surrounding togetherness pressure. Every system has its own way of doing things. They're, they're unwritten rules, and in families especially, uh, these unwritten rules apply to things like how we raise children, deal with conflict or not, how we handle money, how we deal with grief. They even go down to uh, whether or not when we uh, put a new roll of toilet paper on, whether that goes over or under. To me, the easiest uh, examples of how surrounding togetherness pressure works is in looking at how we handle holidays in our families of origin. Uh, Everybody celebrates holidays. Well, maybe some people don't, but uh, people who do celebrate holidays have different ways of doing things. Some people open presents on Christmas morning. Others open them on Christmas Eve. Others wrap them and some don't wrap them. And, and, you know, the examples go on and on as to uh, how we handle holidays. None of them are right or wrong. They're just different. But when uh, two different systems come into conflict, it's often because 
they are two sets of unwritten rules that are dictating. So for example, if you if you have a, a spouse or a significant other and you've ever gotten pressure uh, to be at somebody's house during the holidays or, or celebrate a holiday a specific way, then you understand surrounding togetherness pressure. As I record this, I'm actually in Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and it's Thanksgiving week. This is about the 25th year that my extended family on my wife's side uh, has come to uh, actually celebrate Thanksgiving week together. So there are about 15 of us here this week. And I recall very distinctly that when one of my children was about five, we'd been coming maybe six or seven years, and he said to me, Dad, when I get married, will my wife be a part of the family? And I said, of course. And then he said, well, no, I mean, will she get to come to Hatteras? That's how the unwritten rules work in family systems. And you can see how they can create surrounding togetherness pressure. For example, uh, one of our four children is not here this week. And if I actually called her up and gave her a hard time uh, for not being here, then that would be considered surrounding togetherness pressure. These unwritten rules are like software because they dictate how we act in just about any situation unless we are both self-aware and intentional. This is how surrounding togetherness pressure works. It's the pressure to conform to the rules of the system. And there are other examples besides holidays. For example, uh, birthdays, uh, you know, in some families, you know, it's important to celebrate the birthday on the birthday. In other families, everyone must get a call. I, I had a colleague who told me that she got up, she had an aunt who was upset because she didn't call her aunt on her birthday. Some families don't even acknowledge birthdays. Uh, I know one family that celebrates everybody's birthday in that month uh, on one Sunday in a month. It's an extended family, a rather large one. And so rather than celebrating everybody's birthday together, they do it once a month. None of these are right or wrong. It's They're just different, and each system has its own set of rules. You can apply this concept to congregations. Uh, for example, in some con congregations, people will say amen during the sermon. Uh, in other congregations, uh, they might raise their hands and praise to God uh, during e either a, a hymn or a praise song. I do a lot of preaching, uh, visiting other churches, and I, I notice that uh, most congregations will clap at the end of a choir anthem. Well, some don't. You know, they, they think that the choir is there to praise God and they shouldn't be getting the clapping from uh, the congregation. And it's really awkward if you're there and you decide to clap when nobody else is clapping. So I always kind of hold myself to make sure. But and, and I'm not saying they're wrong. They're just different. And that's the, the, that's the thing about surrounding togetherness pressure is it, it typically is not wrong how systems function. It's just different. And what it does is it creates this pressure to conform. Think about uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you've been in another system and uh, you did something that was kind of out of line and you didn't realize it was out of line. 
you probably felt uncomfortable, even anxious, or uh, in your own, in own your own system, whether it's your a family of origin or a congregational or organizational system, and somebody uh, from the outside didn't know your rules and they did something that was out of line. Uh, it, it probably made people in the system uncomfortable and even anxious, uh, hopefully not to the point at yelling at somebody because they were wrong, but, uh, you know, you can just sense the anxiety because they're not conforming to these unwritten rules. That's surrounding togetherness pressure. The second concept that is helpful to understand self-differentiation is self-definition. And that is different than self-differentiation, even though it sounds uh, the similar. Self-definition is knowing what you believe and being able to express it. So it is being able to say what you believe to other people. When you're not able to do this, then you are succumbing to that surrounding togetherness pressure. You are letting others define you. As opposed to being able to express what you believe, uh, you just kind of keep it to yourself and you just go along with that uh, pressure to conform. There's a difference, however, between being self-defined and being self-differentiated. You can be self-defined, but you aren't able to let others have a different opinion. In other words, you, you if others don't agree with you, you get upset, anxious, you start blaming, you try to find, try to define them. So there are all kinds of ways that uh, you can be self-defined, but not self-differentiated. Self-differentiated people are able to express what they believe, but allow others uh, the freedom to disagree. So here's an example of um, the difference between being self-defined and being self-differentiated. And I'm going to use our current political divide as an example. Now, perhaps you are not part of the 80% of our country who are aligned with one part uh, or the other. You're the 20% in the middle. But uh, on either side of this divide are people who have very strong political opinions. My question is, if you are one of that 40%, are you able to handle discussion with someone on the other side without caving or getting angry because they won't agree with you. If you're caving, uh, then you're letting them define you. You're not, you're not actually saying your opinion with them. Uh, so that is not being self-defined. If you get angry because they won't agree with you, then you're not being self-differentiated. You might be self-defined. You might tell them, this is what I believe. Uh, but because you are not self-differentiated, you're not able to deal with the fact that they don't agree with you and that will make you anxious and upset. So that's the difference between self-definition and self-differentiation. When you are self-defined, you're able to say what you believe, but when you are self-differentiated, you're able to say what you believe and allow others the freedom to disagree. The first two components of self-differentiation help us to understand that we need to be able to self-define in the midst of that surrounding togetherness pressure. But if we don't have the third component, which is emotional connection, it minimizes the importance of interdependence and makes the focus all about ourselves. We might be able to self-define, but if we are not emotionally connected, we are not self 
self-differentiated. Friedman describes somebody who is self-differentiated as a non-anxious presence. That is, they have the self-definition, but they can be non-anxious about it in the midst of surrounding togetherness pressure, and they remain emotionally connected. There's a challenge to uh, emotional connection because there's a sweet spot. If you are too emotionally connected, you are likely to allow your anxiety to spill into the system or uh, you're not able to self-define because you succumb to surrounding togetherness pressure that matters very much to you because of that emotional connection. If you're not connected enough or even cut off, that causes problems in the system as well because if you don't have relationships with people, it's hard uh, for people to function in non-anxious and healthy ways. When you're a non-anxious presence, you are able to say, this is what I believe. You don't have to agree with me. Even if you don't, I still value who you are and what you think. This idea of emotional connection is that you show to the other person that they matter to you. But being self-differentiated means that you know what you believe, and even if it's not what the other person believes or thinks is the right thing, you can still stay connected. That's what self-differentiation is, and it really is a, a hard thing to do when you are in systems where things matter to you. In fact, I would say that the higher the emotional stakes the harder it is to be self-differentiated, the harder it is to remain connected emotionally and self-define amidst the surrounding togetherness pressure. It's interesting because Murray Bowen says in his family systems work that even the most healthy people are only going to act in self-differentiated ways 70% of the time. Well, that means at least 30% of the time we are going to act in ways that aren't self-differentiated. Either we're not able to self-define or we allow our anxiety to become a problem or we are not connecting emotionally. And Bowen says that most of us would do well to get over 50%. Just think about that. Uh, for most of us, at least half the time, we're not able to act as a non-anxious presence. So how do we get to the point where we can be a non-anxious presence? How can we become someone who is self-differentiated? The best way to do that is to work through the unresolved relationships in your own family of origin. As I have learned from family systems theory, uh, the, the things that cause anxiety in us have their roots and the ability to be self-differentiated in our family of origin. So if you were to think about the relationships that make you the most anxious in your family of origin, perhaps with a parent or a sibling or a grandparent, then working through that relationship, being able to self-differentiate in that relationship will enable you to become more of a non-anxious presence and other places. Being able to take a non-anxious emotional stand with those who make you anxious, even if they give you a hard time about it, especially because they might give you a hard time about it, 
will enable you to become more self-differentiated. It's also important to note that you don't, they don't have to be alive. You can actually work through an unresolved relationship with somebody who is deceased because the work is actually on you. So for example, if it's somebody who is already passed away, you might write a letter to them stating exactly how you feel. And it's, it's likely that if it's an unresolved relationship that really makes you anxious, that there's going to be a lot of emotion going into writing that letter. But you can work through it and actually improve your own ability to be self-differentiated. Probably the best way to do that is, is through a therapist who specializes in family systems uh, therapy. Uh, anyone can benefit from a therapist. However, some, if not many, can do the work themselves with little guidance and a lot of intentionality. The second thing you can do besides working through your unresolved relationships is to learn to self-regulate. So, so for the other 30% or more of your time when you are not able to be self-differentiated, you can develop practices and techniques that will help you to minimize uh, how your anxiety comes out in the situation. This is where coaching can really help. And in family systems therapy, this is what the therapist will do is actually to help coach you through different situations that make you anxious and how you can respond as a non-anxious presence. Why is all of this important? Because I have found that being self-differentiated is essential to effective leadership. That, that being able to be a self-differentiated leader, being able to be a non-anxious presence as a leader has the most positive impact on a family of origin, a congregation, or an organization in which you are a leader. And you don't have to be the leader. You can be a leader in any part of that organization and being a non-anxious presence will help people to act uh, as a non-anxious presence themselves and will help people to be their best. I'm going to make a little plug here and that is you can uh, read all about this in my book Anxious Church, Anxious People, How to Lead Change in an Age of Anxiety. And you can find that on any online platform where books are sold, either in ebook or print format. Uh, you can also find out more about it on my website, thenonanxiousleader.com. I am going to have an upcoming episode on leadership through self-differentiation, uh, which will apply the concepts that I've shared today uh, to being a leader. Until the next episode, uh, I hope this has been helpful to you. And if you want to connect with me, go to thenonanxiousleader.com. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.